If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, this is the second time we're recording this intro because sometimes I just don't get it right. And I am super excited about having a conversation with Aaron Kahana and Salo Serfati about donor-advised funds. Aaron and Salo are two young entrepreneurial tech founders that are doing some really groundbreaking work around donor-advised funds. And so I just want to share a little bit about each of them with you before we jump into this conversation. They have started nonprofits and for-profit businesses. And by the way, I'm talking plural, and these are people in their 20s. So they have started for-profit and nonprofit businesses. They have done incredibly interesting work from coding to partnering with Angela Duckworth and Adam Grant on writing projects. And recently, they founded a company called Chariot, which seeks to simplify the donor-advised fund process for both the donor and the charity that will ultimately receive the gift. And friends... The reason I wanted us to have this conversation is for so many organizations, donor-advised funds are a mystery. There is billions and billions. By the time, frankly, we see a generational shift, trillions of dollars that are going to be passing through to donor-advised funds. And the vast majority of nonprofits, honestly, are not prepared to take advantage of that. And what that means is that those nonprofits with the best infrastructure and those that already have the best funding are likely to be the ones that take advantage of it unless we really work to change that. And that was why I just really wanted to bring on Aaron and Salo for this conversation. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Salo. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So I'm going to start with the, what might feel like the obvious question. Why should our friends who are listening even care about donor-advised funds? Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll just start for our friends, maybe who are listening. What is a donor advised fund? They might be wondering that. And quickly, I'll just say a donor advised fund is a specialized financial account used for charitable giving. You could kind of think of it as a 401k for charity. Um, it allows donors to make a charitable contribution, receive that immediate tax deduction, and then over time recommend grants that your DAF sends to the charities of your choosing. And I guess why they should care is while donor advised funds have been in existence um, since I guess the 1930s, 
it wasn't really until more recently that they've become extremely popular. There are over 1.3 million donor advised fund accounts in America with around 2 million Americans using donor advised funds. Um, so it's, it's really becoming a popular form of giving in this country. And I think you're right. And, and for a lot of for a lot of individuals, it is very much a donate now, give later opportunity. So, oh, I have ten million I need to give away right now. So I'm going to donate it to a donor advised fund now. It's I've gotten my charitable contribution, and then I get to give it in whatever pace and tempo. And of course, it's invested, so it's making money and it's growing often before you can even start to give it away. Exactly. Yeah. Salo, I think you're about to jump in. Yeah. I mean, another reason why I would say nonprofits should pay attention to them is that. The types of don the types of people who have donor advised funds are typically very fit like organized um, and charitable in nature. So connecting with those donors um, gives you access to one someone who's very charitable in nature, nature, but also has a network of people that are probably friends to that person that also have donor advised funds um, and can help out your nonprofit institution. Got it. And, and I know for a lot of organizations, identifying those donors, those well-networked donors with donor advised funds can be difficult. Do you all have recommendations on on how, you know, your everyday organization that's not an Ivy League school with, you know, a million and three fundraisers goes about identifying those wealthy individuals with donor advised funds? Yeah, I think it goes to Aaron's point around how how popular donor advised funds are becoming. More and more people are having them that you would be surprised about. And so one method that we've used is that actually by adding a donor advised fund option to wherever your donate form is, you can actually find donors who have donor advised funds who you never knew had them before. And we're seeing that it'd be very effective for nonprofits so far. Can you say some more? Yeah. So like, for example, we've worked with nonprofits before who right next to their PayPal button or their credit card button, they've added a new option to donate with your donor advised fund. And they've been surprised that people who have been donating with credit card for a very long time, all of a sudden start to donate with their donor advised fund. And the only reason they found out they had that donor advised fund is because they started presenting that option. Um, which goes to my point that you may be surprised that much more people than you would be, you think of have these donor advised fund accounts. And that's certainly fair, Salo. And, and I also would imagine that when people are giving from their donor advised fund, they, they're often more generous than when they're giving by credit card. Credit card bill comes at the end of the month. That money in their donor advised fund is already out of their pocket. It costs them quote unquote nothing. Yeah, that's definitely true. And actually like kind of related to that with the recessions, there was a good study actually by Dan Heist and Daniela Vance McMullen around donor advised funds during recessions. And there seemed to be a lot more um, kind of recession proof almost as vehicles of giving because people already set that money aside um, so they tend to pay more out of a donor advice fund during a tough economic time than they do out of their credit card or other checking account that they may have think of as like kind of a expense, right? If you're giving out of your credit card, it's like, oh, do I want to go to dinner or do I want to, you know, give to the Red Cross versus out of a donor advice fund that money is already set aside. It's, it has to go to charity um, and people tend to give more out of those funds during during tougher economic times. It's interesting. That's not something I'd thought about. That that's an that's an excellent point. And so I would imagine then to recession proof your organization, get even better at marketing to those people with donor advised funds. Exactly. So I have to admit that uh I'm not a huge fan of donor advised funds. I, I think oftentimes they perpetuate um, frankly, in inequity because individuals can make gifts and either then never make make any donations using their donor advised fund, or they can make gifts 
and then really give in ways that no one would ever be able to trace the money to nonprofits that maybe they would actually be ashamed of donating to. And so can you all really convince me about why donor-advised funds are a good thing? Yeah, I would love to. And I would have to step back a little bit and as to the story as to how we got to build Chariot, as to why I think donor-advised funds are super um, amazing. Um, and why part of our mission at Chariot is to be, make donor-advised funds as popular as 401ks, right? 60x their size. So Aaron and I went to Penn together, and one of our principles was to donate 10% of our income to charity. That's something that we've held as a core value of ours. And I remember late night in our room, like discussing how do we do it? How do we organize ourselves around that goal? And well, Aaron- quickly, so, so when we were doing that goal, we used to use an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. So I told Aaron, I'm like, look, I, I keep an Excel spreadsheet. Every time I make a donation, I add it to the spreadsheet and that's how I know. And then Aaron's like, can you share me that template? And I'm like, of course. And sort of that's how we got into the discussion of philanthropy. Once we got our first full-time jobs, we had this idea. I'm like, why don't I set up a separate checking account automatically deposit 10% of my income to that checking account and then use the debit card from that account to make all my donations. And there was this like spark in me where philanthropy changed from being an expense, like Aaron was describing, like, should I go buy dinner or should I make this $50 donation into an investment? I set aside $10,000 at the beginning of the year. And how am I properly going to allocate those $10,000 to create the change I want to see in the world? And so I told Aaron about this and Aaron also set up a checking account. Um, and he had that same effect, right? All these like nice side effects that we didn't foresee happening started to happen. Side oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can, can we stop for a second? So you said you saw all these nice side effects. You can't say that to me and then not expect him. Like, tell me about <laughs> those side effects. Yeah, yeah. So I would describe them in three ways. One is that people started to see their philanthropy as investments. Again, it was, I have money set aside. This isn't, uh, it doesn't hurt me to give anymore. It's like, it's like tokens that I use to make effective change. That's one. Two was that people started to care a lot more about the charities that they gave to. So not only did they not see it as an expense, but they also started to like think more critically about how else they could get involved in the charitable giving that they were doing. Like, can I invest some time or can I like volunteer? Are there things, are there ways for me to get involved in this charity besides just giving? And then I think the third was that they thought to think more critically about the charities that they gave to. So not only like how to get involved with the charities, but like, which charity should I give to? Why should I give to that charity? It wasn't just like your friends asking you, hey, can you donate $100 to my campaign? It was, what, where do I want to spend the $1,000 I set aside this month for charity? Like, where are, is my money going to be the most effective? And I think all encompassing kind of related to those three things is this idea of changing people who just gave to people who identified as givers. Uh, there's like an idea actually um, that James Clear, he's like a, he's a writer. Um, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits. He says like, instead of changing your habits, what you really have to do, if you want to become like good at, I'll give you an example. If you want to be healthy, you shouldn't uh, just go to the gym and try to change your habit around going to the gym. You should start to identify as someone who is healthy, right? And that should permeate into all aspects of going to the gym, of eating healthy, of sleeping well, of right, all those different things. And I think related to that here is that when people started to set aside the money, they weren't just people who uh, gave charity. They started to identify as, oh, I'm a giver. Yeah, I have a giving account that I give to charity. I set aside this amount every month. It's not just that people ask me to give, but that also was a, a real benefit that we saw. I, I I can buy that. Sorry for taking you off the path, Salo. I just, I was like, wait, I got to take no, a quick of course, diversion. of course. And just to piggyback off that, it was the fundamental question of asking like where I should give to, where before it was like, I only give when someone asked me. 
Now it's like, I have a thousand dollars. Where should I give those a thousand dollars? And that fundamental question mm-hmm. changes everything about how you interact with philanthropy. So putting that all in, in motion, we start seeing that our friends start to have these behavior changes when they set up these separate checking accounts, right? And it was as we were doing this that one of my friends approached me and said, have you ever heard of a donor advised fund? And I said, no, because I'm a 26 year old. How would I have ever heard of a, 20, a donor advised fund? Um, and I looked into them and then Aaron and I were discussing, we're like, okay, they're basically these checking accounts that we are making for our friends, but they have all these cool tax properties that incentivize people to set aside the money first, which was one of the challenges we were facing. How do we get people to do it upfront, to set aside the money upfront? But what we realized is that these donor advised fund accounts weren't social in this, in the sense that. I couldn't contribute to like Aaron's marathon campaign or when someone was running something like donate with my donor advised fund. They were sort of siloed away, segregated, right? Um, And so I posed the question to Aaron and our other co-founder, Drew, saying, would it be possible to create like an online payment option so people use donor advised funds the same way we were using these checking accounts? And since there was already 1.3 million Americans using these accounts and $240 billion were stored in them, we're like, wow, we can actually assist the current market and maybe even grow it even more so that we drive these behavior changes across the world. And that's how Chariot began. Yeah. And I'll also say to your point, like, I think, you know, we, we recognize that there's so much money sitting in these donor advised funds that aren't going to nonprofits. And that's really like the, one of the missions, the mission of Chariot is really to dump the DAF or, you know, move DAF zero is what we like to say, right? Like get all that money from the $234 billion sitting in donor advised funds to nonprofits. And we gen- gen- generally think that it's not because donors want that money to hoard it. It's not their own money anymore. It's because mm-hmm. that it's hard to give. It's difficult to give. It's unconnected. It's not giving at the point of inspiration. It's not giving that happens when your friend sends you a link. It's in your DAF portal that you have to go to separately. You have to log in. You have to find the tax idea of the nonprofit you want to give to. It's this whole process. And that's when we realized Chariot like, could be an idea that could really help. Right, right. And so, Salo, so I, I think if I were to describe your argument as an, in a nutshell, I think you were saying that donor-advised funds have the power to democratize giving so that most middle-class people and upper-middle-class people could essentially create a mini-foundation out of which they can give um, more deliberately and intentionally and ultimately make a bigger yes, impact. Yes, and I would say not just middle and upper-class upper Americans. I could say every American. Um, donor-advised fund providers nowadays are offering accounts for free. There's mobile apps. There's online web apps. It's totally accessible to every consumer with any sort of internet access in America today. Who gives charity? Um, and more than democratize, I would say it allows key behavior changes in already philanthropic people that affect change, right? That's how I describe it. Right. And those key behavior changes focus on being more intentional around your giving and, and looking for that that return on the investment on your giving. Exactly. Okay. I'm I'm leaving this part of the conversation with more of a mixed feeling about donor advised funds, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I am. I mean, because I I will say, I mean, I, I still do think there are a lot of people who will park ten or twenty or fifty million in a donor advised fund with no intention of giving even even a fraction of it away in their lifetime. And so, literally, I mean, like we we have needs today, and they they get the the tax deduction today, and maybe the future benefits from it, and maybe the future doesn't benefit from it. 
So like that, that is typically my issue with it. But I, I am walking away from this part of the conversation with more of a mixed feeling. Yeah, if I can it. comment on that quickly, I would say we speak to hundreds of DAF donors um, weekly. And although the news may portray it that way, right? I would say that might be the the edge case, right? It might be like the one in a thousand haystack. I think most people and almost everyone we speak to are fine trying to find ways to give. They just need that nonprofit to connect to. Hmm. Okay. I think that's fair. So knowing that you speak to to hundreds of DAF donors every week and every month, um, I'd love for us to have a little bit of a conversation about like what the what the average DAF donor that you talk to, what what is that what does that household look like? Yeah. So it's typically your older crowd, right? It's not your 26 year old. Typically we're trying to change that. Um, and it's someone who from our experience, again, had, um, some life moment where they wanted to set aside, uh, money for charity. And that individual now has funds set aside that they sort of want to donate. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and real quick, when, when you say life moment, you mean like sale of a business or other large asset, uh, inherited from money, yeah, stocks, et cetera. Um, gained a lot or, or again, they just want to be proactive with, with their, with their like savings. Yeah. yeah. I would say you see a few kind of prototype, like kind of, uh, like types of people. It's, it's, it's usually like the sale of, of stock or, or maybe like asset. The second could be a really large life-changing moment. Um, maybe a little different than the sale of asset, right? That could be a business sale or that could be, you know, inheritance or something like that. And then you also just see someone who is interested in organizing their charitable giving kind of similar, honestly, to the, to the way Salo and I got into donor advice funds in the first place around this idea of like having a separate charitable checking account, um, to manage all their charitable giving. I want to add one to Aaron, and this can answer also answer the question of how to find DAF donors. A lot of companies are offering donor advice funds as an employee benefit, the same way they offer a 401k. And they match deposits into that donor advice fund. So if me as an employee were to deposit $1,000, that my employer would match $1,000 into my donor advice fund. And so I think a cool way for nonprofits to find DAF donors is seek out those those companies that do this, seek out their employees, and then you can find some good DAF donors. That's a great idea. I like that idea a lot. So, um, but so if we can stay with kind of like the, the archetype of, of donor advised fund donors that, that you all often end up having conversations with, okay, so they're typically on the older side. They typically have had a major life event where they've had an influx of, of cash, essentially assets that have turned to cash. Are there things that are more important to them in terms of philanthropic issues than others? From my experience, Aaron, I don't know if you have something different, but it really, it really ranges. Um, everyone has different institutions they connect to. Those could be local. Uh, those could be more global, more like in the United States. Uh, it really just speaks how the person sort of connects to the causes. Just in terms of like what causes are supported by DAF donors uh, from like a statistics point of view, you can see that religion and education tend to be pretty high. Um, but that being said, like from a, from a user point of view, like Salo said, I think it's been, it totally ranges. Uh, we've seen, you know, I think it's hard, it's hard to pin down one, one subsector. And are you finding that, that donor advised funds are giving more toward unrestricted or giving more to specific projects, whether that's capital or non-capital projects? So at Chariot, all our donations are unrestricted, um, uh, by default, we believe that for the gifts made through us, um, nonprofits should use them as they best see fit on a statistics level, Aaron, I don't know 
you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I'd have to look into that a little bit. And so l- let's have a little bit of a conversation about Chariot. So I know I know Chariot in the grand scheme of things um, is a relatively new company. When did you all start it? May of last year. So May of 2022. Yeah. So so coming up on your first year anniversary, I hope you're doing something big on that on that um, anniversary of the starting of the company. Yeah, I hope so. Well, we make anniversaries on achievements, so we're, we're very big on that. So how much money can we float to nonprofits? And that's when we get really happy. Th- that's awesome. And so let me ask the question, because I have a feeling that you all are data people and you already know this. So you've been around about 10 months or so. So um, so in your 10 months, like how much how much money have you floated? I like the way you think about that. How much money have you floated to nonprofits? Yeah, we're, I think it's a, it's a few hundred thousand. Yeah. We re- we reached the hundred thousand range uh, a couple of weeks back, which was a big milestone for us. That was a that was a great mm-hmm. time. Congratulations! Yeah, I'll also, just say we launched in uh, mid January of twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. So oh okay. This is uh it's it's so in less yeah, than three months. In less than two. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And and so let me ask this question about about your company. Um, like how in what ways do you actually work with nonprofits to to float and funnel those funds to them and in which ways do you actually work with with donor advised funds to help them in getting funds to nonprofits yeah that's a great question so to walk you through the process um we're essentially a a payment button that you add next to your paypal or credit card donation buttons that allows a user to donate with their donor advised fund so a, a donor would visit your website they would see this new button donate with your DAF. they would click it they would then be asked which staff they come from. So Fidelity, Charitable, Schwab's Charitable, NPT, all the providers. They would click it. They would sign into their provider directly on our form. And then they would click submit. So in three steps, the donor had submitted a donation to your institution. What Chariot does on the back end is that we work with the donor advised fund providers and we'll send a request to that provider saying, please send $1,000, let's say, from this donor's account to your nonprofit institution. And that's how sort of like the process works end to end. I know as I was doing some research on your company, I was curious. So do you all have agreements with every donor advised fund provider on the globe or what? Yeah, we currently support around 60% of the market, which is okay. Fidelity Charitable, wow. Schwab Charitable, uh, JP Morgan, uh, NPT, uh, Daffy, Charity Vest. Um, Foundation. Yeah, so there's a bunch. Um, and then for the other 40% that we're not fully integrated with, we... Uh, provide step-by-step instructions to the donor and how to complete a donation through their DAF portal. Okay, so so if I had a donor advised fund, which I don't, but if I had a donor advised fund and I and I clicked that button, and maybe I was with a community foundation that that's not ultimately have their funds with the fidelity of one of your others, I would just get those step-by-step instructions. Exactly. Yeah, we would link you directly to your login portal, and we'd also mm-hmm. give you the tax ID of the nonprofit so that you can copy like instantly. So that way the process is as easy as it can be without being fully integrated. Okay. Um, thank you. That that's super helpful to kind of understand that. And and so less than really even two months of running, you've already brought in a few hundred thousand dollars to organizations. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank we you. work really hard. Uh, we care a lot about the nonprofits that we support. It's the reason we started this in the first place. Um, so our goal is just to keep helping, keep providing value. Nice, nice. And and I will say, you know, obviously as we wrap up the show, we're we'll make sure that we give the URL if there are any organizations that are listening to the show right now that want to learn more and how they can get that button on their website, we'll we'll absolutely do that. I I will say though that um I hope that you both are ready for a curveball question because it is balls. time for our off the map question. 
you're both relatively young. I can tell our listeners this right now. You are incredibly, incredibly smart people. I could just t- literally, in all the research I've done, I could that just shown through. So I am guessing that you all will likely be alive about 50 years from now. So let's pretend that the two of you meet up for lunch. It's the spring of 2075, so 52 years from now. And you start comparing the new modern world to when you, when you started Chariot. Uh, that would be 2022. What are the biggest changes from 2022 to 2075? I love this question. <laughs> so I was fortunate to very recently last week hear Obama speak. Sam Altman, the founder of ChatGPT, the founder of CRISPR, which is a gene editing tool, founder of Airbnb, uh, and a bunch of other like really influential people. So I'm going to stick to one of Obama's insights and be optimistic, um, glass half full, and say we're going to be in a good place, right? But then what does that mean, right? So I think there's like really fun sort of tangents uh, that you can go on. So from Sam Altman's point of view, um, I think energy can be limitless, right? If you if we solve nuclear fusion and nuclear fission, we can be going to the moon and back um, with like almost limitless energy would be extremely exciting. We have reasoning engines like ChatGPT that can really do thinking so that we can humans focus on more creative and um, relationship oriented actions, right? Um, and then you have CRISPR that can so- edit genes and solve a lot of sicknesses related to genetics. Um, it's a world where like we can focus, I think, on the really important things, which is like what it means to be human, what it means to connect to one another, emotional things, things that are metaphysical, right? Um, and allow, you know, the 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 rest of the grunt work to be done by by technology. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really good. I don't know if I could I don't know if I could follow up with that. The one thing I will say, <laughs> kind of related to that, maybe a little different, um, is I actually think we're gonna hit a little bit of a pendulum in a lot of ways um, for like some some of our relationship towards technology. And what I mean by that is I think some technologies like will will definitely continue to, I'm not saying like tech is dying anytime soon. I more mean that our relationship towards like the world and nature, I think is going to be more focused on our social aspects, like our connections to others and also our connection to like nature. I think there's going to be less probably of a focus on like all living in cities. I think probably the world is going to be more, uh, hopefully I'm hoping for this more, uh, like green and also, um, a little bit of a pendulum shift from kind of the, the way people are thinking about, uh, like VR and AR. I think probably we're going to swing back from that. I think it's going to be a lot less of our, our faces in a Oculus and more of our faces in uh, nature. That's awesome. Thank you. And I, I'll share with you, um, I am planning on probably not existing sometime in the next 25 to 30 years. So I'm sorry that I'm going to miss a big chunk of that future. But that future sounds really amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks, Dalton. We hope so. Yeah. And of course, with all of this comes um, equality, right? Equal access to everyone in the world. Everyone has access to these technologies because technology lowers the cost of of living in a way. Um, so that that comes inherent in that in everything we said. I would love, love, love to see that too. Thank you. And friends, you know, this has been a great conversation, not just about donor advised funds, but ways that your organization can both identify people that control DAFs as well as um, as well as benefit from those donor advised funds. So I would encourage you 
to go to Aaron and Salo's URL, Give Chariot. There, you can learn more about their company, Chariot, and how they can help you with fundraising. You also can learn more about donor advised funds. If you decide you want to register your organization to be able to use their button, it is free. It requires no coding or tech work. And for a limited time, they are going to be offering $1,500 of transaction-free or free transactions um, in donation volume. Let me also share with you that um, Aaron, Salo, and Chariot were recently an article by the Jewish Telegraph Agency, and we are going to link to that in our show notes as well. Hey, Salo. Hey, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on. Dolph, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much, Dolph. All right, friends, let me just share that I would love for you to be a part of our podcast community by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing it with others. And let me just be very clear that these humble actions will help the podcast grow and will help us continue bringing you new and exciting guests. Friends, if you like these two episodes, there's two more I'd like for you to consider downloading. The first is episode 132, Tips for Attracting Donor-Advised Funds and Creating One Yourself with Arlene Kojin. Because, you know, not everybody like me is an old curmudgeon about uh, about donor-advised funds, and Arlene is not. She is bullish on donor-advised funds. Also, I'd like for you to consider episode 174, Help Donors Fall in Love with Your Organization with Abra Annis. Abra is an incredible person who's been in the, the philanthropy space, both as a major donor, as well as a charity auctioneer for quite some time. That, friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And you know, friends, I never, ever, ever like doing the legal disclaimer, but the lawyers actually do make me do it. But I have decided to have some fun. And so I threw it into chat GPT, and I am now going to share the legal disclaimer with you in the style of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And by the way, this is literally what the AI spit out. I've done very little editing on it, so it's not perfect. But 14 score and seven episodes ago, we've brought forth on this platform a new podcast conceived in information and dedicated to the proposition that all listeners deserve to be informed. Now we are engaged in a great episode testing whether this podcast or any podcast so dedicated and so conceived can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of opinions. We have come to dedicate a portion of this episode as a final resting place for those who here gave their time, their attention, and their focus so that we may inform and entertain them. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should warn you that we are not accountants nor attorneys, and neither this podcast nor consulting practice provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you need that type of counsel, please find a licensed and qualified professional in your area. It is for us, the podcast hosts, to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored listeners we take increased devotion to the cause for which we give the best information and entertainment that we can, that we here highly resolve that these listeners shall not have listened in vain, that this podcast, under Apple and Spotify terms of service, shall give a new birth of information, and that podcasts of the listeners by the listeners, for the listeners, shall not perish from this earth.